0: Hello, Kristen Ray Harrington. How are you on this beautiful day?
1: Hello, Michael Stephen Ryan. I am doing just fabulous. We are waking up in sunny Florida today. How lucky are we?
0: We are here for a podcast conference
1: first of 3 that we have lined up this winter.
0: Yeah, this is exciting.
1: It's been a lifelong dream to be a snowbird, to escape at least some of winter back in Canada. So, I feel like this is the beginning of maybe that adventure that will yeah. be our future.
0: We're kind of talking from the, the the future. We're not actually in Orlando. When you're listening We'll be in Orlando, but we're still in Nova Scotia right now recording this. And it's awesome here. Nova Scotia is a pretty sweet place. But we're going to Orlando to learn as much as we possibly can about podcasting, how to get better, how to bring on guests from all over the place, get sponsors, just, you know,
1: We're coming with open minds and open hearts. There are a lot of learning opportunities ahead for us. And our goal really is to not just improve ourselves, but to really highlight the voices of all of these amazing guests that we've had the privilege yeah. of speaking to over the last couple of years.
0: We've met a lot of great people.
1: Our network is just just full, full of talent. How lucky are we? It's one big family now.
0: Pretty, Pretty amazing. An East Coast family.
1: An East Coast family. How sweet. And our new friend, Jamila, is part of that East Coast family. Yes. She was born in Jamaica and found her way to join us here in Eastern Canada and has really been taking the city, the province, the country, everything by storm. She's got a a reggae background and uh, quite an interesting family background, too, that we dig into.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Her father's a legendary musician in Jamaica, played with Bob Marley. Yeah. Seems like just comes from just a, a great and amazing family. It's good people.
1: She's brought a lot of unique culture, experience. Her sound is so fresh to the city and everybody wants to work with her. Uh, She's really garnered the respect of the industry this year at um, Music Nova Scotia Week. Like last November, she won African Nova Scotia Artist of the Year and New Artist Recording of the Year. And that was just for her debut album.
0: Yeah, she's a force for sure.
1: So definitely, definitely a gal to keep your eye on.
0: Yeah, it was amazing chatting with her and getting to know all this about her. And like I knew her from crossing paths at, at shows and festivals and whatever it may be, but never got to sit down for an extended period of time. So... Just got to really know how awesome she is.
1: Yeah, it's always great to get to know the inspiration behind the music. And this was another just soulful conversation. I feel like she'll be a woman, I hope, that stays in our life. And maybe we can collaborate or anything that she's open to. But uh, she's a prime example of why we're doing this higher learning with these podcast conferences and wanting to spread the word of this talent far and wide.
0: Yeah, and also, we still have our uh, campaign online, ca slash fundraiser, or find it in the show notes. And yeah, we just, we want to just make sure that we can take in as much as possible and 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 like we said last time, not go too in the hole.
1: Not go too holy. (laughs) You don't want to
0: be too holy. (laughs)
1: Well, and it's we we also spoke last week on the podcast intro about our our quote fundraiser. It's really less of a fundraiser, more just an exchange of our goods and services and packages that we're offering. And if people want custom packages or just one-off items that are found in some of those. Tears. then uh, we've done that for a few of our, our
0: clients as well. Yeah, check it out, Buds, if you're interested. And we'd love to get something in your hands, your ears, your eyes, whatever you want. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll do something for your senses.
1: Yeah, everyone's been so kind and supportive. And, and we recognize that not everyone is able or interested in participating in, in the money exchange, but just listening, downloading, subscribing to the show following our guests, all of that yeah. is really important as well to our growth. Yeah,
0: and if you don't donate, we'll just hold a grudge for life. That's okay. Yeah, we've got a list of people yeah. we're
1: expecting to hear from, eh? Yeah. Hey? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, to bring this full circle, I mentioned East Coast Family at the start. Uh, we're going to play one of Jamila's songs at the end, and it's called East Coast Family.
1: Yeah, it's so sweet of her to feel that this is something she's tapped into being here in Eastern Canada and has found this family and. We're glad that she's now part of the Mike and Kristen family.
0: For sure. Let's jump into it. Here's us and Jamila chatting. Much love, folks.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you're cozy oh, this is on perfect. this dark and stormy night. I know. Yeah. <laughs> With the
2: chamomile tea, it's
1: perfect. I think, I, I'm afraid you might fall asleep, actually, during this episode. We've got the fire on, <laughs> we've got you wrapped in blankets, and we're serving you chamomile tea that's meant to usually be a sleep aid, so.
0: <laughs> I, I'll get you some sleepy time tea as well. That will really put you out.
1: Rubber, into it. Maybe rubber feet or something. Over there. <laughs> oh,
0: dear. No, yeah.
2: if you do that, I'm moving in.
0: I'm your get problem the,
2: now. Get the lotion out. <laughs> we have
1: a new roommate everyone
0: (laughs) we're both pretty good foot rubbers
1: it's it's funny this came up recently a friend of mine was saying how she she likes for her husband to massage her feet at night but he's terrible at it Mm -hmm. and i actually used to work as a massage therapist so i was able to teach mike exactly what i wanted on my feet and you're a great masseuse or massage therapist foot rubber
0: I don't I don't know. I you're the only foot I've ever run, so give <laughs> you, there
2: you positive feedback. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right, so what happens if you're ticklish like me? If you even touch my feet, I'd be just mm. cackling.
1: Is it Jess feet? Another another spots
0: ticklish body, ticklish
2: body.
1: (laughs) We won't give out all the secrets here. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But I get ticklish for sure. Do you ever go for massage in that case? I do, I do. My back's pretty non ticklish Okay. (laughs) That's that's the safe zone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting a
0: massage and they start getting even close to my armpits. I'm giggling.
2: Really? You're a ticklish guy too.
0: Armpits. Okay. We have a rule in this house that we're not allowed to tickle. Like getting hey. <laughs>
2: tickled
1: isn't fun, right? Like that's not a fun thing to to have happen. It
2: has its pros and cons, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Cause laughing is just that's I love true. laughing. That's but true. if I feel like the tickle will not stop, then there's a problem.
1: Yes. Then it taps into a different part of fear inside yeah. yourself. It's like
2: aggression. Like stop <laughs> yeah. I'll scream. So what are your what do you like to do to relax? This is a great question. Can I say smoke weed? you sure can. Okay. so I love to sleep. I love to smoke weed. I go I've been going to the gym. Okay. a lot.
1: Yeah. Is that something new?
2: It's new. Yeah. Well, I, I I've done this like super gym fixation in my earlier life, but I, I fear it wasn't healthy. Yeah, and it was for different reasons than it is for today. Mm-hmm. And today, it's more for mental health than just long term longevity. Yeah, and bef- before it was like, I want to be hot. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah, I'm no, part- I get that. But yeah,
0: the the benefits mentally, I think, are even more so than the physical benefits of exercising, and even just going for a walk in the woods. Like the the simplest thing, like, is being active, is just so good for you in so many ways.
1: Yeah. And you're super hot, but that's just, that's just the gravy. Right? Right? Uh, right? What, what, do you, what do you like to
0: do with the gym? Are you doing like uh, cardio stuff or a little yeah. mixture, everything?
2: I'm growing. I'm like becoming a, a, a gym a big girl at the gym now. Yeah. When I started it was all cardio. It's like treadmill. I know yeah. that. I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm doing some weight training. As I'm as I'm seeing my body change more yeah. and reading up more about it, I'm like really expanding. So now I have like a weekly sort of routine that I yeah. go and I do like pull, push, and I do like cardio days. And I yeah. Yeah. I do hit, you know.
1: Do you would you smoke weed and then go
2: work out? Every morning. Okay. That's part of the ritual of it. Is anyone from my work going to listen to this? Because <laughs> I wake up at like five and I have that morning joint so yeah. that by nine, I'm all worked out, showered, and then the high has gone. Yeah. And I can focus on work for the day because then the next joint is until like seven. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta wait
1: that whole freaking day. Huh? Oh,
2: <laughs> the, you know, hope this email finds you well a hundred times yeah. before the next joint. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> only
1: seven more. I hope this email finds
2: you well before. You don't
0: have to wait. You're just doing well, that because you're a good employee. She's a professional. Yeah. She's a professional. Yeah.
1: I would like to ask though, because mm. since NSLC has started selling, you can now go in and really. I guess pay more attention to what you're getting. Mm-hmm. So it used to be you'd buy whatever from Paul on the corner and not really. The good know stuff. What, I got the good stuff. I BC Hydro. That's
0: right. That's what everyone. That's would what say. everybody
1: would tell you. But I really appreciate <laughs> that you can kind of monitor how a different strain might make you feel. One maybe I'll use this for sleep. Maybe I'll use this for
2: creativity. Is that something you have found since it's been regulated in this way? Totally. So definitely sativas, and then. You you know, you have the higher THC t- sativas that are like over 30. Y- y- you don't want to do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> when you have things to do. Yeah. But like a nice mid-range 20 and then you try them out and you realize I like this one better than the other. Funny thing, a friend of mine actually does cannabis counseling. You might know him, Andrew Branch?
0: Yes, the musician. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He does
2: cannabis counseling for a cannabis company where he can actually tell you Based on what, you know, there's there's been stigma associated with this stuff for ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. And so like people who are new to it, he kind of like ushers them into the experience and might suggest based on what they're looking for, different strains. And I think that's so incredible and so needed too. I've had to do that, but I mean, I'm not opposed to it.
1: Yeah, it's it's medicine for a lot of people. And it's it's really interesting. I, I used to work in government and actually had the cannabis file. And so was privy to a lot of the data about consumption rates. And for a lot of people in Nova Scotia, once it was legalized, first time users of cannabis skyrocketed in, in the older age demographic. Because people needed that safety and security that this is a legal thing. Mm. But once they tried it, it,
2: stuck with it, I'll say. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Because they see, like, was this what all this hoopla was about? Mm. It's like Yeah. It's not that serious.
1: Yeah. Well, it's good that you have your your tools to use. Totally. So, how does that factor into your creativity? Like is it do, would you consider it a tool for igniting that in
2: you? So, it can be a tool and it can be a deterrent definitely because um yeah, people abuse these things, you know? Mm-hmm. It can be medicine and it can be a drug, and yeah. that's the truth. And so, when I when I want to be a certain level of productive, it's not that I won't have it. I just have to be responsible and, and taper it and know when I've had enough.
1: Yeah. It's like, like everything in life. No know, like knowing your body and paying attention to
2: it. Totally. Yeah.
0: Totally. So you grew up in Kingston, Jamaica?
2: I grew up in Saint Anne, Jamaica. Saint
0: Anne. Is that uh how how big a community is that?
2: All right. So like how you'd have provinces there? Yeah. Here. Yeah. That would be the parish I grew up in and my little okay. town would be Brownstown. Okay. Yeah. So cute little town in the mountains. Oh, uh, adorable.
0: We we eloped in Jamaica, actually.
2: Are you kidding me? What yeah. part?
0: Montego Bay. Montego
1: Bay, I wanna say. Yeah. No way. Just outside that, yeah. 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 We we loved it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on around you. Don't worry if you okay. knock something over. Yeah. Sorry. It's a it's a hectic room in here. <laughs> but uh Yeah, that was that was Eight years ago? Eight Nine years, years ago. Yeah. yeah.
0: The yeah. eight years this February.
2: Congrats, guys. Yeah. Thank you.
0: February 16th. We eloped five years to the day we met. So we met on February 16th and we uh, we eloped in, uh, yeah, in, in Jamaica. Just uh, we walked on a beach. It was, it was what they call the sim- symbolic version. Like we didn't have, um, we didn't hire someone to marry us or stuff. Mm-hmm. We just walked on the beach till we found a nice tree. Like hey, this seems like a good spot to to do it. And we we, we set our vows and we we said we're married now. Yeah. Like legally good legally enough. we got married later on, but yeah. in our eyes, like that is the day that you got our That's day. our anniversary yeah. we celebrate.
2: Yeah. That is so intimate and beautiful. That could be a like a movie. Aww, so beautiful.
1: That's so nice of you to think about it. No, I want to see the backdrop. What's where exactly were you? We were on the beach in Montego Bay. Okay, and we laugh because we have maybe one picture. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> well,
0: well, we we got the guy out of the water to take a picture.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there was a guy passing by selling Mm. cannabis, and did he know he
2: was a part of your wedding, like a big part? (laughs) (laughs) Once we asked him, I think so. (laughs) Like
1: we looked like we were getting married. Okay, Okay. we had you know we were dressed up and not in bathing suits, so I think he suspected something was happening. But he very much was part of our day. Oh yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. We wrote about him in our book, and he took he took the single photograph that we have from that day. So.
0: Yeah, he he, he was a, a crucial part. Without him, yeah, the memory wouldn't exist. There'd be no evidence.
1: But it was <laughs> it was a fascinating yeah. country. We were able to sort of travel around. We had uh, Raymond. We yeah. are a hired driver. Everybody for loves us. Raymond. Here. Yeah, and he, yeah, he took us to some interesting parts of the country. We visited a farm, and uh, which we'll get into that part because I, it could even connect to some of your family history. Let's see. And uh well, because we w- it was like a a Bob Marley tour, right? That we went on?
0: Well, not with Raymond. We went we did oh, do that a was Bob separate. Marley. Raymond took us on. He said to us there's there's a Jamaica that everybody who comes here sees, but I want to show you the real Jamaica. So he took us Which everywhere. Was so awesome! Like he—he's like, this is a really poor area, but this mm-hmm. is—we're gonna go see this. Now we're gonna go to this beautiful spot that only the locals know about. Like he just—he just wanted to show us what it was really about, and we—we we did truly love it. And
1: favorite part of the trip.
0: Oh, one hundred percent. I bet. But we—we we did go to the Bob Marley Museum.
1: Okay. In Kingston. Museum. Yes. Mm. Okay, you have a better memory than I do. It's because I was quite out of my mind on that
2: tour. So, I bet you were did you go to Orange Hill?
0: Uh Mike? <laughs> that doesn't grill? that doesn't ring no, a bell. No, we didn't go no. we
2: didn't no, we didn't go that far. Okay.
0: Yeah. Was, but let's let's uh, take this back to you now, buddy. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You know our connection there and yours is much richer.
2: That's so, that's beautiful
0: though. So mm. you grow up In a, is it a small, small area?
2: So small. It would be like the equivalent of growing up
0: in the rural parts of
2: Nova Scotia and then moving to Halifax for university. Yeah. 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 Just the same.
0: What was life like growing up there? You, You have a big family.
2: I did. I lived with my extended family. My grandmother was the headmistress of the kindergarten school. Mm. Okay. And the school had burnt down a couple of years before I was born. And so there was still like an old schoolhouse in our yard where my grandfather rebuilt the school while the city was figuring out their their stuff.
1: No kidding. Yeah, it's pretty
2: cool. So after my, my yard would have like my cousins, my aunts, my uncle, my mom, my grandmother. And then a dozen kids whose parents didn't finish work yet. Yeah. Just like... And then the animals, because my grandmother raised chickens. Mm. Um, I had a goat. Several of us had goats we yeah. had to tie out. It was our, like, responsibility. Your, mm. your own goat. Oh, my own goat yes. that I had to have for my did, sixth birthday party. Did you have a name? No, I did not name my goat. <laughs> I, like, this is where I learned the circle of life. I knew my goat was going to be food. Yeah, I like, yeah. That was, yeah, it wasn't a pet goat. It was um, goat for food. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. We have I grew up on a farm too, so I to hear we had chickens. So you know.
0: So how did music come to you?
2: I can't remember a time where I wasn't singing and garnering attention for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Like even as a little girl, like tiny, three my earliest memories. I was either singing on the choir at church, I went to the Seventh-day Adventist Church mm-hmm. and um singing with the big choir. Because, as a little kid, because they thought it would be cute, you know what I mean? Yes. That sort of thing, and just being thrown into to situations where I'd I'd have to be like, "Oh shit, I'm I'm nervous, but I have to do this thing," you know? They're all counting on me to do this thing, and I enjoyed it. I I I came to enjoy it. I came to find the music when BT came because I didn't have cable until I was like, I don't know, ten years old or something, yeah. and BT came and it was like, whoa, all oh, this music felt like so much music hmm. but then i would visit my dad and my dad had a record store
0: yeah
2: so my dad's a traveling musician so he's y- not always there
0: your dad is more than a traveling musician he's a legend
2: <laughs> i know but you know at this time we're talking about 10 year old jamila she yeah. does not know who yeah. he is she just knows he's not there but you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> but he has a record shop yeah and he has like all the hottest new cds like you name it he has it. He has the most CDs of any one person or records that I've ever seen in my life. So I would learn a lot about Christian music mm-hmm. with my very conservative family, mm-hmm. sp- who's headed by my, the matriarch, my grandmother. Yeah. And then on the other side, there's, you know, my dad, the traveling musician, owns a record shop and just like different music, but still heavily musical on both sides.
0: What were some of the albums that were resonating with you at that time, at that that early age?
2: I remember when Faith Evans just put out this this new album. She has with a song "Soon as I Get Home." That one was really good.
0: Um, I'm talking I'm, b- I wanna just say songs so you can just sing. Them I was gonna to say, you. can
1: we just yeah, throw out things for her to sing, I think from yeah. now on. Yeah, mm. that'll be the whole
2: episode. That'd be cool. Yeah, beautiful. Maybe if I know them. But I remember that one distinctly because that was one of the first songs my dad asked me to learn to sing. Yeah. He's like, Oh, you know, this really great artist learn the song. I remember being the like watching the whole thing when he played with Lauryn Hill and when, you know, when she won that those Grammys and all that stuff. And just like going through high school and watching that whole thing, you know, just like, yeah, just being like, whoa, that's awesome.
0: So your dad played with Bob Marley, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. He did. And Lauryn Hill.
2: Mm-hmm. And Amy Winehouse and Joss Stone and Erica <laughs> Badu.
0: That's wild
2: but those are only the ones that people would resonate with. Yeah. He's played on all the reggae tracks or well, not yeah. all of them, but like a huge ton of them.
0: And how, how did, how did he get into to this world? That's an interesting question. So I,
2: I've heard some stories. Mm-hmm. So he got his first guitar from his adopted mom. Um, and then I don't know what happened to it, but he was, he, before he got that guitar, he was making strings like a, sort of his own version of it, using Fishline.
1: Really? Yeah.
2: But when he got his first guitar, he learned how to tune it really well. And so he would go to the local studio where this band called the Soul Syndicate, you can look them up, they used to play there and they would do a lot of the old like Studio One rhythms and Trojan rhythms. And so they were session guitarists and he would be the guitar tuner. And they call him, (laughs) until they just call him tuner. <laughs> and because Patois, the Jamaican dialect is so weird, Tuner became China. And I don't know. You can do the math later. Ah. Tuner, tuner, tuna, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Know we're that. getting there.
0: But that's that's what he's known as, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, China. China. Yep. And um and that's that's supposed to be from the word tuner. As I said, you can do your own math on that. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, and he he started playing with the band Soul Syndicate, wrote a bunch of their hits as well. Um and started to do his own thing. He um, family man called him to do his first session recording with Bob Marley, and that's how he got his first car. Yeah, like he got paid in a car for for those sessions and mm. started touring with him much later. You know, post Al Anderson. Yeah, but and yeah, did his did his thing and and went went on to play with all the kids as well.
0: Does he have any good Bob Marley stories? Oh, so
2: many, so many.
0: <laughs> Ones you can't say on air. <laughs> one day you should bring your
2: podcast stuff and go sit with him on his like veranda. If you go online, you'll see him there sitting there. It's very unassuming. I'm mm-hmm. just, wow. just playing all day.
1: That would be a wonderful opportunity one day. I want to know more about your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Because is it traditional that the, the, the woman sort of is the leader of the family? Is that a fair way to describe it? it
2: that's such a great question. I think Jamaica is inherently matriarchal, mm-hmm. but it's not overtly s- said in that way. Okay. So, for example, um, the, the Jamaican woman would be like, play fool to catch wise or something. It's like they know they, they're on the ship, but they're, they're, they're still not like stepping on any toes. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. That's my observation of it all. The quiet leader. The quiet leader. Which are often the most powerful ones. Absolutely. But in my specific situation with my grandmother and my grandfather, my grandfather had a a softer, sort of more laid back approach to life. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother was like, I'm a seamstress. I teach kindergarten. I am a deacon on the church board. I'm Mm -hmm. like, she did a lot of stuff.
1: And she was minding up to 12 children.
2: Every afternoon. And how many of those were your siblings? Well, none of them, really. My mom only had one other kid. My dad has nine kids for four different women. Okay. So they didn't really... My story is different from a lot of my siblings' Ah, stories. They all came from different backgrounds.
1: Yeah. Do you all know one another? Have you met that extended family? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of them are into music.
2: Six of them of the nine, we are are all involved in music, some more than others. So, like, for example, my big brother is a producer. Two of my big brothers are producers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One is like a DJ, sort of like the equivalent of a rapper. But you know how Jamaicans would like do that like DJ rapping thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be Itai. And my brother Earl has done like um, sound like on tour, sound engineering for like Jimmy Cliff. For example, and my sister toured with Shaggy for a very long time, too, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: as a backing vocalist. They got me into like the backing vocalist world. So my first set of tours, you'd think my dad arranged it. No, it was my big sister Mm. and brother. Mm.
1: It's an interesting background because a lot of the guests we've spoken with Mm. come from, even Mike and I, we come from small town Nova Scotia, where they might consider a career in arts or music a risk. Mm-hmm. But your influences sound different. And I, I wonder if would would your grandmother have encouraged you to pursue this life or would you attribute that exclusively to your father's background and
2: his encouragement? Whoa, I love that question. I've never been asked that question, so I've never had to process that answer. What was the motivation? I know my grandmother would be happy with whatever makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, when I started singing in a big way at church, she was the one who was like, you should do that. You you know, you should go sing more. You know, I would sing with her as she's cooking. But in terms of pursuing it, I've never had the ambition of pursuing music as a job because I thought it was several things. I had a a certain, as a a Christian, coming from a Christian home, Mm -hmm. primarily, Oh. I associated secular music and that sort of thing with a certain level of um, worldliness, for want of a better word. Yeah, and um, I also felt too that it wasn't um, sustainable, just from my very myopic view. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. this is twenty year old me talking. Yeah. Right? And so when I went to university and started working a corporate job and realized how monotonous and how labor intensive that was and just how unfulfilling it was to me, I still found myself being dragged back to music every single time. And the first opportunity that changed my life and changed my outlook in a big way, because I was being paid to sing as a back, like a session backing vocalist Mm -hmm. or like at that little concert in the community. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when I toured with the Whalers for the first time at 21 years old, I took time off from my work because, you know, you got to have your job, right? And then I went on a seven-week tour. Listen to this. Seven-week tour through the U.S. Uh, with the Whalers. Unreal. At I, 21. At 21. I remember landing in Atlanta and there was, a, there was a, um, a limousine. It was the first time I had to sign an autograph. And I was like, and then going back to Jamaica and jumping on a bus and being like, whoa what <laughs> like just to adjust them like like yes. there, there's that world it exists and it's it's not bad and I I was doing great things and I was being a cultural ambassador in the biggest way and I was performing with Aston Family Man Barrett who's like legendary bass player incredible 21 so okay. it's like you live and you learn right and so after that I was seduced and I couldn't I did not last in my corporate job another six months I mm. left the following May and I was like, well, if I'm 21 and I try this for two years and it doesn't work, I can go back and get another job.
1: I love the word seduced to describe <laughs> how you found yourself pursuing this life. It's it's beautiful. Seduced, yeah.
2: Yeah. Anyway, I got back into it and I toured with groundation. I toured with Black Uhuru. I toured, but as a supporting vocalist, I mm-hmm. felt safe. Mm, yeah. It wasn't until I came to Nova Scotia that I was like, okay i could probably stand in the front of the stage and the difference is all the accountability that you bear for the rest of the team mm-hmm.
0: you know yeah i was going to going to ask like singing singing the the background vocals in all these bands did you have the desire to be out front because not everyone does and some people like like being in the background kind of like the, the the team player and mm-hmm. let the let the other people have the the spotlight on them, but obviously you, you did eventually make a make a shift where you are this the brightest of lights now uh when you were with these groups touring what's what were your goals did you were you comfortable with that
2: i was I was in the beginning when I thought it was bigger than me, and it it was intimidating. I was like, "Oh, I could never do that," you know. I remember being in like South America, twenty thousand people out in the crowd. And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> how would I ever do that?" But over here, it's safe. Mm. I know my lines. Yeah. I don't have to engage the audience. Yeah. I just dance and look pretty.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I
2: mean. And then, then you start to see more and more sound checks and more and more shows, and you're like, I could. I could do that
0: yeah
2: you know I could do that as I said though it wasn't until I came to Nova Scotia and found a team of people who cushioned me in that transition and I use the word cushioned because it felt like if I failed I would have arms to catch me Mm. and I didn't feel that way before so I felt safe enough to do that and I felt good that they felt good to stand behind me in that way too yeah
0: how long did you do the the background vocalist? Thing for. Yeah. From
2: twenty eleven till twenty fifteen. And then I moved here in twenty sixteen.
0: Okay. And how did he end up coming to Nova Scotia?
2: So you know, you know those capers, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know my, a few. <laughs> you know, if I bet you do. Um so my mom moved here about twelve years ago. Yeah. She's probably going on thirteen now. She yeah. came here as a nurse and as you know it's a big thing for nurses to come here because of just the shortage of nurses yeah. in this area. And she came here 11 years ago and still serving as a nurse. So I came here to visit her. Yeah. And who do I meet? Roxy. I meet Aaron yeah. Costello. Mm. I meet Adrian Dunn who goes on to become my husband. Yeah. And um because my mom doesn't really go out very much. Yeah. And so I I was here and I was like, where is the music at? Funny story, dude. There was a guy on the bus, the number 4. I'll never forget it. I don't even think they have a number 4 bus anymore. <laughs> but I saw him, he had a guitar on his back. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to do it. I was like, "Excuse me," the nicest, most like non-threatening voice I could muster up. Mm. I was like, "Excuse me, where do you play that?" And he told me to go to Agricola Street. That time I was calling Agricola Agricola. Yeah. And to the Ben Kaplan's open mic.
0: Oh, yeah. The open oh, mic house. Wow. That was yep. the first
2: place I ever went. Okay. I went in there, the only black woman standing in the back. And I was like, what is this? And this guy with the big old beard. He had the biggest beard I'd ever yeah. seen. <laughs> and like everyone just like playing. And I was like, I think that was the first time I experienced what would be like a kitchen party then. Yeah. yeah. Just like everyone singing along. And it was... It's like, whoa. True Nova Scotia. Totally. Like first time out.
0: What were your first impressions off Nova Scotia?
2: <laughs> Before I got out and met the music music scene, yeah, like, you know, Roxy, Erin, all those people that I met first, the Melatones. Yeah. I thought it was like a cold, a cold place. I didn't think there was much to do. And it's really interesting because I think a lot of immigrants might have that same experience where, you know, they don't have an in. They don't, they don't know how to puncture that cold exoskeleton. It looks like it could be cold from the outside. Mm. Yes.
1: Do you understand what I'm saying? No, I, I love the way only you can share this perspective. Yeah. So yeah. whatever you say is is accurate and really interesting.
2: No, totally. It's it, for, Well, this is for me and I would be interested to talk to other immigrants to see if they share the same perspective. But my experience has made me like consciously a little warmer to who I I suspect to be immigrants. Like yeah. if people have an accent or if they've come out and say that they're immigrants, I'm like, oh, here, this is where we can go. Or like mm. just so that they can also, because you know what I mean? Pierce that and, and see the warmth within because otherwise it feels impenetrable.
1: I want to ask about... Mm-hmm you described that moment going into Ben Kaplan's open mic, Mm -hmm. being the only Black woman in that room. Oh, yeah. And coming from a place where you felt that safety on stage of being in in the background singer, I want to hear about the evolution of where this confidence within you came from. Because you've clearly found yourself in spaces that there was safety and then to be really in this very bold place of I'm here and I'm the only person in this room that looks like me, but you stood there and enjoyed this night and, and have pursued all of these amazing dreams since like, how has this evolution happened in your life of going from that to
2: that point to where you are now? Another great question Mm. from Kristen. Um, That's such a great question because it's going to go into like my own views of myself. When I first started singing as a background vocalist, I really struggled with like um, body dysmorphia and just like showing up in a way that I thought that people at that level should, you know, the way I dress. And maybe, you know, I didn't, maybe my look doesn't look like other people. You know, all these things that 21 and 22 year olds have in their head, you know. Yeah, or 41. Mm. Or 48, right? right? (laughs) It's not unique. Yeah. But then having to show up for work every day because it's work. Yeah. And being like, okay, it doesn't matter who's out there in the audience. I have an hour of work to do and I have to show up for it. So put a put a shirt on and go to work.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Whatever it is, because that's why you're here. And so it doesn't matter if I was crying before or laughing before, I'd have to show up to work. It also helps that the bands that I've been a part of touring with have been really kind mostly men. Mm -hmm. So that's cool, right? Mm -hmm. Kind and protective and safe. So that's good. And then in terms of the color differences, working with this band from California called Groundation, predominantly white band, and being in these spaces, touring around, you, you meet a lot of people from all different backgrounds. And then you start to feel, you know, a little bit more confident, a little bit more exposed, a little bit more in tune with people's differences and, and then reflecting that back onto yourself, and and being a little bit more gracious with yourself, because you too carry your charm and and your unique values. You know, there's something that you contribute to this space, and that's why you're here. You know, regardless of if you think you're fat or you know, you know, you're you're too tall or you're too this or you're too that, mm-hmm. you have a purpose in this space, and someone flew you all the way from Jamaica to wherever the fuck you are in the world today to do a thing. So just like believe that they're not stupid and just it goes back to, oh, can I reference the thing we spoke about offline? You sure can. So people, people we're talking about are like artistic work and how we can be highly critical of it. And then I mentioned to Kristen earlier, how once someone else gives it some validation, it kind of like, it makes it easier for you to digest. It might sound really Bad to say that, but it's the truth.
1: Yeah. And, and I think it's something as artists we often have in common and quite frankly don't like to admit, but it, it is honest that that totally. validation somehow works its magic. Would you say that that same validation has impacted how you feel about yourself?
2: Absolutely, mm-hmm. and that's why I, I mentioned it because, and and that's where it started. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm older and wiser now, and I'm still not at the ideal, optimal place that I could be in terms of my confidence and and you know, and my being secure in myself. I think we all work on that for our entire lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. but now I'm like, yeah, look at you go. Yeah, <laughs> I hope <know> you are <laughs> totally. Everyone around you is doing it. Totally, yeah. totally, but. Even without that, it's just like having the motivation every day to get up and to treat myself well, you know. Have you healed
1: the body dysmorphia?
2: It's on its way out. I can't say completely, but having lost 40 pounds in the past seven months helps.
1: Oh, wow. And that was intentional, wanting to get a grasp on health and yeah. Yeah.
2: It's, it's eating better. It's meal planning. It's yeah. um, going to the gym every morning. Yeah,
1: mm. I'm it's glad you feel good, hydrating and, and strong.
2: Thank yeah, you. that's
1: important. Because I know, I mean, I don't know any woman who, at some point in their life, hasn't felt judged either from others or themselves. And so, yeah. it's it's uh, perhaps the extent or severity of our self criticism is varies, but uh, certainly
2: a relatable thing that's important to talk about too. Totally. If you look at the ugly things, you have to recognize that there's a thing and look at it and then you can fix it. Yeah. Because sometimes it's the truth. Sometimes you are not being the best that you can be for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that requires your attention.
1: We've just in January started implementing it because we're not big New Year's resolutions people Mm -hmm. at all like that. Typically, I I feel like if you want to change something about your life, it doesn't have to be January 1st to do that. But this year we have in unity with some of our other friends kind of started some some tweaks on our life and some health things as well. Mm -hmm. And, And I will say that the discipline has definitely served me. And so I think that there's there really is something to be said for being in control, be it of your body or your art or your life or whatever aspect, and recognizing that discipline can be uncomfortable, but it's it, in our
2: experience has been completely worth it every single time yeah every single time
0: so you arrive at the open mic house you meet some other people some other musicians in nova scotia they find out you probably have this illustrious past as a musician yourself is that that how it went down illustrious Mm -hmm. I mean cool for sure Mm -hmm.
2: but um I remember Jacob and Roxy and those guys asking me to come over to jam and then I met Leanne Hoffman and Jesse Brown Mm -hmm. come on now I was staying over by their house because the bus stops working at 12 and the party doesn't stop yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm like dude this is a cool place and from the outside looking in I would not have had a single clue you know mm. but anyway so cool saw the Melatones the following thursday night i was like that last era of of um what do you call it? the local being down near the economy shoe shop down there on yeah. oh yes yeah. yeah yeah i i got a little bit of that which i yeah. think is like history mm. yes right? yeah it felt good and um I so charles austin is a big, big part of the story. Charles Austin was like, there's these guys. So I go there to do a session and it's like, there's these guys that are doing reggae. They're called the Dub Cartel. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. You know, they're working on a record now, eh? I'm like, really? And it's like, I'm going to put you guys in contact. I remember going up to Kyle, well, Charlie's attic for the first time. And that turned out to be a place where I recorded my first album. Like, just like, even thinking about all these memories and seeing, like, how close I am to these spaces and people now, it's crazy. To feel like seven years ago, I would have just met them.
0: It seemed like it It all happened pretty fast, too. Totally. Almost like it's fate.
2: <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I would say. I'm grateful. If it isn't anything else, I'm just, I think it went
0: the right way. Oh, 100%. Like. You you found just all every person you named so far is just an amazing musician or amazing person, and I think I think that the music scene in Nova Scotia does have like a a very high amount of good people who want to be supportive and are supportive of other artists and having and and like you said, getting that into the community was, is a big thing, and yeah. and finding that seems like it probably helped them in different ways as well like they're they're getting to meet someone who has all this experience touring you you've been around the world playing in front of twenty thousand people so so you're bringing probably more to the the equation than anyone, even
2: well, I think we all bring our parts because I've learned so much since I've been here, yeah, it's been uh like non-stop growth since yeah. I've been living here. And so like the last song, people asked me what was the motivation for it, East Coast Family. Yeah. It's exactly what we're talking about now. Yeah. These people who came into my life as strangers with an open mind and an open yeah. heart. And now I call them family. Yeah.
1: What part of the reggae background do you feel you were able to bring that wasn't here, that maybe you felt
2: was lacking? Roots. Roots reggae. Yeah. So, um... The dub cartel has a sort of poppy kind of reggae, almost kind of like hip-hop fusion, which I think is cool, and it's not new, and it has its place, and they rock a show to pieces, right? Yes. However, I'm coming from a Rastafarian background, very cultural, almost religious, I would say, Mm -hmm. although they don't like the word religious, Mm. and it's more like a a livity, a way of life. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely connected with um, their spirituality. Yep. And so roots reggae is the part of it I think I bring, like I bring here, because when I came here I was a practicing Rastafarian woman. I was completely vegan. I was I had my long dreads when I arrived here. I cut them during COVID because mm. they were not being kept up well. But mm. um, yeah, but I came with a certain level of influence that I think the Rastafarian way of life influenced me more positively than any other religious sort of dogma that I've ascribed to in the past. I don't know if I'm articulating that right, but you know what I mean? Yes. It's just more like um, being kinder and true to yourself, your mind, your body, and your spirit. And especially um, as a black woman, just looking to Africa because like you belong to a place. Mm. Like everyone else is like Chinese or Japanese, but you're black. No, no, no. You're African, you know? Yes. It's like, it's just like, acknowledging the motherland for what it is to me. And, and I got that sort of allegiance from the Rastafarian practice as well. And just how to be kind. It's the Rastafarian has this thing called I and I, which is a doctrine where you look at everyone outside of yourself as being an extension of yourself. So when you're talking with the Rastaman, you might hear him say, I and I, I'll go down the place there. But I and I really means it's a little bit of you and a little bit of me and vice versa. I and I, it's all, always a constant recognition that we are one in the same. And I love that concept. Oh my gosh, yes, I love it so it's much.
1: It's so beautiful. It, it really, yeah, it speaks to just human connection, like this broad ideology. Do you still feel
2: connected to the spiritual side of that? Totally. I do find that the Rastafarian practice does have its cons as well in terms of, you know, their attitudes towards um, the LGBTQs, um, their attitudes towards women. There's a lot of gender Mm -hmm. traditions there, too, that I've. But you know what? It's about like, okay, I went through that experience and I learned and I'm better for it. And the things that resonate resonate strongly. And I know what it is that I don't resonate with. And
1: I like the idea spade spade. Of thinking mm. about a uh, a spiritual practice as more of a lifestyle as opposed to these are the rules that you follow. Like Even something like yoga, people think about it as it's just about the asanas, the positions that you're in. But it's really meant to be about how you show up as a human being in the world. And that to me is just such a more powerful way of creating a spiritual practice or lifestyle than just, I'm going to follow these rules and therefore I
2: identify as this. Exactly. Or I'm going to follow these rules and then there's some golden place waiting for me on the other side. Yeah, there's a prize. It's not nice, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like that part. (laughs) But yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's like a lifestyle. It's like, I'm going to show up in this way because I feel it resonates. And the prize
1: is the family that you have found here in Nova Scotia. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. The
2: lives you touch and the lives Mm -hmm. who touch you.
1: Mm -hmm. And you have touched a lot of lives.
2: Why, thank you, man. Yeah, definitely. definitely.
0: What are your favorite parts of Nova Scotia that you discovered since you've lived here?
2: My favorite parts of Nova Scotia. Inverness Beach. Not necessarily necessarily places. It could be...
0: A place, uh, just a, a food. A food. It could be just a a feeling you felt somewhere, or like
2: you're gonna get a little bit of quirky Jamila, That's super quirky want. Jamila. All right, so I'm gonna name some. I love Cape Breton so much. Yeah. I think Cape Breton is beautiful. So Cape Breton is in a category of its own, right? But in in the city, I, with my little walks that I do, yeah, I love Fort Needham Park.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. the
2: Halifax Public Library. When I go down there, they yeah. all know me by name. They're like, hey, Jamila." I'm like, hey, you know, so-and-so, whoever is on shift. Um, Tarek, Tarek's Cafe, the okay, restaurant, yeah. Yeah. he's pretty much adopted me. <laughs> Apparently his mom's name is Jamila, And so uh. he's like, oh, and then so he's like one of my best friends, like, yeah. best friends. I'm talking about like little relationships and places that I go where I go there. It feels like home. Um, I love the Citadel Hill.
0: Yeah,
2: it feels so it's cool to go on the Citadel Hill and understand the connection between Jamaicans and the Maroons.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. Okay. Do you want to tell
0: the story? A little. We could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs>
2: and, I mean, I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. like to know. So the Maroons were brought here um, and given land. Guys who are listening, I actually have the two quotation fingers up (laughs) in sarcasm. Air quotes, quotes, that's what you call them, in sarcasm. Anyway, Mm -hmm. but they worked on building this fort, the Citadel, and um, loyalists came to assist with that as well. Um, They were given really questionable places to live, that like surviving was hard. A bunch of them took the first opportunity out of Nova Scotia and went to Sierra Leone, but there's still a, a big population of Maroons here living out in Preston's. Okay. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of Smiths out there. And I'm a Smith, I'm just saying. Mm. I could be related to them.
0: <laughs> there's
1: There's actually a fair... And maybe this is the mm-hmm. birth of the connection between Nova Scotia and Jamaica. But I know having worked in government, there's a lot of export programs between the two countries. And that could be everything from education to the arts, really, in totally. that... Uh, like artist residencies, they'll they'll send a Jamaican artist to Halifax and vice versa, or or I shouldn't even say Halifax, but Nova Scotia. And have worked on some of those, <clears throat> excuse me, files too. And I wonder if if that
2: is where that relationship was born. Or I wish I knew. It could yeah, be. Yeah. And it sounds plausible. Mm. I know it goes back all the way back to like the days of Screech and Saltfish in Newfoundland. Mm. And you know, Annapolis, Annapolis Royale is Port Royal, right?
1: Yeah yes yeah. yeah okay
2: and Jamaica had a Port Royal too ah. and it was one of the biggest shipping ports in this part of the world and so Port Royal in Jamaica sank and it was there was an earthquake that ate up a part of the land of Jamaica and Nova Scotia valued the trade with Jamaica so much that they rebuilt the city of Kingston so the Bank of Nova Scotia the first offshore bank of Nova Scotia was open in Kingston 25 years after it was opened here after this big earthquake Mm -hmm. to facilitate the trade between the two countries. So I know that Newfoundland and Nova Scotia has been in trade with Jamaica for a very, very, very long time. It's really cool. But just to like be here now and just like to, yeah.
0: Did you ever hear from Nova Scotia growing up? Like, did that have any meaning to you?
2: Just on the banks, because yeah. the biggest commercial bank in Jamaica is still the Bank of Nova Scotia. Okay. Well, it's Scotia Bank now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, rebranded. But yeah, that's the only evidence I would have had that this place even existed. I would not have known all this history until recently. Yeah. But um, I never had a clue I would even, you know, visit here, much less live here.
1: Mm. Does it feel like home now?
2: Oh, absolutely. Mm.
1: Yeah. And this is where you would want to spend your days?
2: I think I'll spend my days here. Um, if I could have a place in my old country, Jamaica, yeah. like, you know, when it gets cold, you know.
1: Do you go visit your family there often?
2: I do, yeah. by often, maybe once or twice a year.
1: Yeah. I but guess often's
2: yeah. a relative term. Totally. But yeah. But as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I still love Jamaica. Jamaica is wonderful and um, it has some really tough tough economic problems for the people who are living there. You know, if you're not, there's, there's no middle class. So you're either super wealthy or you're, or you're hustling, you know? Which feels
1: Mm. like the way the world seems to be evolving in general now. You know? Mm. yeah. 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 So I really want to dig into some of your accomplishments that you've had, because you've had just such an impressive career in a short amount of time. And We were reading just a few of the highlights, but playing with orchestras, uh, I'd really like to ask about that and how that felt. I can only imagine the power in standing in front of that collection of instruments, but would love to hear, in your words, what
2: that experience was like. Totally. It's like a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And every time it happens, it still feels like a fairy tale to me, Mm -hmm. but it didn't start off like this. Mm -hmm. So full disclaimer, guys. I do not read music. Anything you want in life is possible. Just go at it and show up. I cannot read music. I, yeah, just letting you know. Mm-hmm. But I was playing with several orchestras. All right, so Daniel Bartholomew Poyser and the Symphony Nova Scotia, Eric Mathis and their entire team, I'm so grateful to all of them. They asked me to come and play a Black History show, which they would just bring in artists from the community to play one song with the symphony to, you know, for exposure. You know, and, and also to commemorate the month, that sort of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: They was, would learn one of your songs, like an original song? No. So okay. I,
2: I would cho- choose from a, um, from their repertoire. Okay. So the one I had to sing was I Put a Spell on You and Etta James at Last. hmm Yeah. And ooh, we also had a, mu- a special Music Nova Scotia song that the community we'd written together. And so that was one original song. Okay. So mine was with Todd Gugu, Indigenous artist from Cape Breton, and Zamani, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Mars Marsman, and myself, and the Bela String Quartet.
1: And this was sort of your introduction to playing with
2: an orchestra. orchestra. Yeah, this specific situation. And this happened in March 2020. So, right before, I want to say two weeks before the world lockdown. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, we did this show, and I was late. I was late for a reason. I want to say it was a good reason too, <laughs> you know. You know, you know. It's your big day with the orchestra. You don't want to be late, but I felt like I was having it was it was over in Cherrybrook by the Black Cultural Center and I was late. It was like 15 minutes late and I got there and they were like, "I'm sorry, you can't play with the orchestra. That's not how it works. You you have to be early. You have to make the sound check." I'm sorry. You just have to go home. I was like, no, no, I'm sorry. I couldn't make it any earlier. So Daniel comes out and talks to me and he gives me the talk. He's like, yeah, this isn't, a, you know, this isn't the marquee. This isn't the bar. It's like, this isn't how it works. I cannot put, I don't even know what you sound like. I don't know. Do you know the song? Can you read? I was like, no, I can't read. It's like, come on. So I stood there in tears Call me melodramatic or whatever, but I'm in my dress, my stockings, no, my it'd be heels, heartbreaking. and I'm—I've already bust over to Dartmouth. I'm here. I made it, and I'm standing on the outside and I'm crying. And I was like, I'm not going to leave. I'm just going to stand here. I might, I might as well see the show. So I stood outside of Danielle's door like a creep. I don't know who told him I was standing outside there crying, but about it felt like two hours, but I'm going to say it was ten minutes, fifteen minutes. He came back out and he—he he called me in he gave me the sheet music even though I told him I couldn't read and then he said if you can sing this exactly as it is on this sheet then you can play and I was like thank you and he started and he got his baton in front of me I was like I don't even know what your baton is saying but let's do this (laughs) and I sang as exactly the way my memory recalls it being sung on the original and I think I did okay because he said I could sing and what was, a crazy story! I've never so, been late.
0: Was there music, or he was just waving the there, <laughs> stick? Was there
2: music? I think we, they have these Sibelius demos of of the the pieces. Okay. I want to say it was either the Sibelius demo or the the previous rehearsal that they may have recorded, but there was music. Okay. And no no vocals, and yeah. I so I sang over it. Yeah. And he got his baton out, and I, like as if this was my rehearsal now. Yeah. I've never been late for another. I want to say I've never been late for anything else, but that's a lie. (laughs) Definitely not orchestra gigs or gigs in general. I am the most apologetic when I have to do those things. Anyway, and so Danielle was impressed by that. And I don't know the the way I showed up that afternoon, because of course, given that, I was like, I'm going to kick it in the face. And I tried my best. And then I was really surprised when several months later... Eric Mattis from Symphony Nova Scotia invited me to do my own show with the symphony. I couldn't believe it. And I showed up early every time, oh. <laughs> knowing all my shit. I didn't never, ever, that's never gonna happen. That to day me was again.
1: like an audition for you.
2: I think so. Yes. And to the point that Danielle, um, when, when the world went virtual and a lot of the NAC programming, especially educational programming, um, they had to pivot he suggested because they needed to have something done in three months and he suggested well we already have this thing and it's already half you know it's already half developed you you just have to extrapolate it a little bit more to make it into this program and so now I have a reggae educational program a six-module educational program available to all Canadian students for free and I present it Every effort, oppor- every opportunity I get.
1: Yeah. It, where can you find that?
2: It's online. I'll leave you the link, yeah, or I'll, I'll it. share it with you, so you can share it with your listeners as well. Sure. And you, as a as an educator, you can download it and offer it yourself. You know, administ- administer it yourself, or I can come in and administer. I'm going to be doing a show at the Woodlawn High School, mm-hmm. formerly Prince Andrew High School in Dartmouth, doing the musical portion of this, and I'm going to do the entire workshop for the second year in a row. At the Halifax Public Library. Oh nice. Yeah, this just administering the same program.
0: I'd love to go to that myself. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah it's it... usually for kids, but I mean <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs>
1: Mike looks like a kid. I like yeah. to learn. You can be the Will Farrell <laughs> elf that shows yeah. up. Oh, that'd be cool.
0: <laughs> you should come though. I I am. Yeah, what know? was that the first experience hearing your own songs with the entire orchestra behind you? That must have been mesmerizing.
2: And it continues to be mesmerizing, even when I play back the soundcheck or the recordings we have,
0: or the Sibelius, it's still like...
1: What's a Sibelius?
2: It's a program that they use to do the demo for the arrangements.
1: Okay, So when you're learning
2: it, it sounds like Legend of Zelda. (laughs) I call it the Zelda version.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) I'll I'll remember it now, (laughs) with you having described it that way.
2: Exactly. So... So um, whenever I get the material, I would I would either have like a pre-recording of or re- rehearsals or the Sibelius version, the demo, or, you know, yeah, that's how I prepare myself because I can't read.
1: I want to ask both of you, and, and this question came to me picturing more of the orchestra environment, but the same might be said for leading a band as well, is is somebody leading the other and what i mean by that is are are you as the singer following the band or are they following you or or is it just i uh, the goal to be complete harmony i, I don't know
0: well a, a band is a unit i guess um when i'm when i'm playing with my band we're we're all there's things that are cueing you at different times like i might be being cued by a guitar or the drums or whatever it may be is something that is driving the song along. But it's probably different for for each song. Like some songs I might start on the guitar and the guitar is kind of the focal point of it where they have to kind of fall in line with me. And that doesn't mean like if they start playing, like I, if once there's drums in there, like you have to be with that, but but if if the the focus is like a singer songwriter or something like they are kind of around you, but you're also with them at the same time. So there's this kind of push and pull where you're each influencing each other. And then like a whatever a more say rock song where it's more like right on the beat. Like you're you're trying to lock into the drums and bass or whatever whatever it may be that's driving the song. So. I think it's different and I'm sure orchestral stuff is is different than that and maybe even reggae is reggae's probably the the rhythm I guess.
2: Yeah, bass and drum. Yeah. It's funny you said that cuz that was going to be my like funny answer. It's the drummer. Drummer leads everything. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> well, they do, you know. It's like even the tempo even as the singer, you know, and he's setting that tempo so you you trust your drummer okay. to set the right yeah, you're tempo. You're locking
0: into that. Totally.
2: Are you relying on the drummer? Depends on who starts the song. Yeah, ultimately, but yes, I am Damon Moynihan. Yes, Teddy. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Rely- I'm relying on them to keep me. I'll tell you me specifically because I have a tendency to want to ad lib, mm-hmm. and then and then I might like lose it, and I have. I depend on them to anchor me back on one.
0: And there's so many songs that come in on a four count of one, two, three, four. Oh. Band is in right. Uh. So. That's and the drum when the drummer counts you in, they are counting at the tempo of the song. They're not just saying
1: it's not arbitrary. Yeah,
0: they're not just I saying see. one, two, three, four, like it's uh, like they're counting in at the tempo. So that is like they're locked into the rhythm in their mm. their mind, their body, and then you are following that, and mm-hmm. and obviously like there's there's different parts in a song where the tempo is going to come up, like your choruses have more energy. So the tempo is going to rise slightly. And when you're playing with a band that you play all the time, like that just naturally happens. If you wanted to, like if the drummer's like, we're staying at 98 beats per minute or whatever it is, they'll stay consistent. But it's kind of natural where a more energetic part in the song, you kind of up the tempo a little. And you're not consciously thinking that that's just how it comes out like it's just it's just energy like energy energy and tempo are almost like the same thing in a different in a in a, in a way that might not make sense to some people, but it's this little little burst that kind of drives things a little bit more
1: it, it's interesting even watching the two of you now, which I know the listeners can't see you, but I can feel how natural this is to both of you. Like even as Mike is describing it, you are moving your body, Jamila, to kind of match (laughs) some of his percussion, just air, air drums, you know, because, because it's so in your body. And, and I wonder because Mike too does not read music. It's, it's about feel for him. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that way of learning where you're really, feeling it and I don't say that to say that a traditionally trained musician is not feeling it of course they can still embody that same passion but I I, there's just something even just watching you now that's so intuitive about it for you both that I wonder if because you have learned in the ways that
2: you have that it has strengthened strengthened that aspect of your art totally we have to be fully present so like for the orchestras you can rely on the conductor. Actually, you must rely on the conductor.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the way that you get those instructions, because all those baton movements have meanings.
0: Have you figured out what they mean? No,
2: <laughs> but I get the idea. I yeah.
0: like,
2: I'll tell you something really cool about that later. Yeah. But then for us, it's like we have to be so fully present that we're feeling those instructions that I don't know what he's giving. I have to feel that they're coming. I have to feel it. That this is the direction. You know, when he calls out, um, row this, measure that, and they start the first note, I have to know where in the song that is mm-hmm. just by the energy they're playing with, because all the choruses might sound the same. But, you know, one might be a little more high tempo or something. Yeah. I just like, no. Like, you have to be so, you have to be firing on all cylinders for me, especially with the, our orchestra, but also with my band as well. What has helped me a lot is to be able to manage in real time the band and how we perform. Of course, we are rehearsed, but I've learned these words from these reggae artists that have been doing it for a long time, like dub, dubwise. They go, they descend into a bass and drum or a rhythm, and you just hear the keys and the keys and um and guitar. Or I could be like, you know, I could call out certain names, pull up, and they take the song from the beginning. These are words that if I say them without having to explain to anyone what they mean, the band understands exactly what I would like to happen in that moment. And I thank reggae for that. Mm. <laughs> I thank
0: reggae. And every, uh, every self-taught person has a way to communicate like if, if you were in the studio and say your drummer was working on a part and you were, you have a vision probably in your head how you might want it to go and you can't like write out the the notation of how it would go, but I'm sure you have a way where you can say do it. Uh, <laughs> boom, you, bop, bop, bop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Musicians have <laughs> their way. You have their, your own language. Yeah. And usually it's it's maybe not as efficient as if you could just pass over the 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 sheet music but it it works and especially like say me and bruce bruce is self-taught too so we we can communicate in our own language essentially where because we've been doing it for so long together it's just we we have our own version of of uh communicating of of sheet music but it's it's not anything anyone else would really understand but we've done it ourselves so long, it, it it makes sense to us.
1: And that makes perfect sense to hear you describe it that way, that yeah. that you've developed that rapport and relationship. In
2: your own team. In your own team. Yeah. How did you, you have a big team. Oh, yeah. How, They've changed a little bit recently. Um, sorry, what was your question? No, I didn't just, allow you to finish. No, I'm sorry. That's
1: I just want to talk about your team.
2: Yeah, I love them. Were. They've changed a little bit. You know, you think you're going to be with the same group of people forever, and then all of a sudden you're grieving because someone had to move away or someone mm. has, you know, other um, responsibilities or priorities that they have to attend to. But I'm so grateful for every one of them who makes time for me. They, If rehearsals aren't happening, they'll ask about it. So grateful for them for being so invested in the music because a lot of big bands don't last very long, and we're going on five years Mm. And five years is like a milestone for me. I'll take it. I'm grateful, and I hope for five more years or even ten. Yeah. I'm, you know, so grateful for them. They all bring their strong points. You know, like I have a bunch of currently my current orientation. A bunch of them play with the melatones. Mm. A bunch of them used to play with Dove Cartel. And so it's like your original. (laughs) I know the original guys. And so they all bring their incredibly like big repertoires, their big experience because they're all incredible musicians, as Mm -hmm. you know. And so, yeah, I want to be able to engage them at their level. And I want to be able to keep them proud to keep showing up every time, having the best gigs and, you know,
0: once you stepped into the spotlight, did it come easy? Because watching you now, like you step on stage and you're just this presence and like you command the audience, you command the crowd and it's just everyone's eyes are glued to you. And it's this kind of you put a spell on us all and it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's beautiful and amazing. Was that something that you had to learn over time? Yes. Yeah,
2: totally. Like it's cool because even if I watch those initial 2018 shows, you know, and now it's so different. It's like every time I'm put in a in a position where I'm terrified, I grow from it. Remember, we we're talking yeah. about being uncomfortable, yeah, and how it it breeds growth. Mm-hmm. Discomfort breeds growth. So I feel like Halifax has prov- provided me the opportunity to play on stages as myself. Yeah. All those stages and they were preparing me for what I'm experiencing now and what I will experience later cuz we're on a we're on a track, you know, we're not we're not stopping here. But like Halifax Jazz Festival, I remember when they the first time I played Halifax Jazz Festival and I've played it 4 times was in 2018 and it was on one of those um support stages you know when you have like the midweek support stages i think mine was out in bedford and then i played another year opening up for dub cartel on the main stage but really early in the day one o'clock two o'clock and then last year i played opening for shaggy one of the most prime spots in the entire festival how do i not thank halifax jazz festival for fostering my growth you know what i mean over those years because you know shaggy's never played that stage oh, I live on that stage. I've been on there four times. You know, I, I'm i not intimidated by that stage yeah. anymore. And so it's it's fashioned me and groomed me for this opportunity, yeah. you know?
1: Have you become a more polished performer or are you just stepping into
2: yourself more? Mm. Both, both. It's the growth and maturity from standing in my in myself as a person, as a performer, as a woman, you know, just like knowing who Jamila is more, um, so on a personal level. And then it is is the truth that when you do something repetitively, you get better at it, you know? And if you're interested in being the best version of yourself, which, I mean, we all want to do okay, right? It's just like you evaluate the thing you did not so well the last time and try to polish it up for the next time, you know? So that my mom would be proud or something, you know? Mm. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, so yes, both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. It's becoming more comfortable with myself and the value of repetitive, doing something repetitively and being better at it. Mm-hmm.
1: We know the success that you've had so far. Uh, let's wrap things up by talking about where you're going. Ooh. Let's talk about your your dreams, your goals. What, do you, what work do you have in progress? Where do you want to see yourself
2: in in five years or ten years? Okay, awesome. Those are all great questions that I've never had to articulate before. So I'm getting my my mm. thoughts in order. Yeah, take your time.
1: Mm. If there's um, a lot there. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm working on my album. So the first album was Roots Girl, and this one is Woman of the Sun. And stick with me now. Stick with me. Think about it. You know, you're you're the roots, and so you're underground. And there's some value to building a strong foundation, but you really don't enjoy it until you push yourself out of the soil and embrace the sunshine.
1: Mm. So
2: beautiful. And it's like, that's, yeah. yeah. I want it to sound like when a plant is, has just popped its first leaves.
1: You're a storyteller. Something like that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's really um, supposed to be the evolution of myself, the next step, coming more into myself. It's going to be 10 tracks. and We're almost done with it. I'm birthing it in this time. And I'm hoping to drop it on my birthday in April. Mm. So hold me to that, guys. Incredible.
1: And will you release the whole, the album in its entirety? Yeah.
2: yeah. So two of the songs that are going to be on the album have been already released. Mm-hmm. Slow Down and East Coast Family mm-hmm. that I was talking about mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. The next release will come in March, and then the full album in April. Okay, and I'm um, excited for you to hear it. We have some collaborators on this album that I am so proud to get the chance to work with: David Miles, Owen O. Sound Lee, Wolf Castle, Aquaculture, Cairo McLean. Like a younger guy, but double Juno winner in the reggae category. Unreal from Toronto. Nice. What He's a like strong, 16. strong album. Mm. Yeah. So I'm um, so sly. Sly, my dad, Robbie Lynn, incredible musicians and producers from Jamaica. So it's it's kind of a melding of both my worlds. So once that comes out, I'd love to tour it. And then I would love to follow that up with a next album next year and um and keep spreading my wings. One of the part of my work that I'm really, really interested in and, and involved in and want to see it persist is my relationship with kids.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: through this program with the NAC... I want to keep it moving. I want to be able to share this little part, this little nugget of my culture, continue sharing it with the kids so that they can understand it before the world gives it gives them their own idea of what it is. I'd love to have an opportunity to keep sharing that and um, and just keep growing, you know.
1: And where would be a dream place to perform?
2: That Nina Simone... All right, so I want to do it in Switzerland at the... What do you call that big Switzerland jazz festival? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we got to look it up. Mike's going to do some research. We should do it because I want to say the name for you. Yeah. Uh, I know it. It just eludes me. Um, Nina Simone did an iconic performance in Switzerland at the Blank Jazz Festival. And that's where I want to do that same Nina Simone show. Oh.
0: Montreux yeah. Montreux
2: Jazz Festival. Oh, hey, there you hey. go. That's it. I want to do that show. I th- we're gonna manifest this. I, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. So that's like my dream show for Jamila. I I just wanna I wanna go beyond the borders of Canada. Just as my show, my mm-hmm. team, my guys. I wanna I wanna take them to South America and maybe maybe the U.S. You know mm-hmm. that would be cool. But in terms of my own personal like. What show would I want to do before I die? I want to recreate that Nina Simone show in Switzerland. Incredible.
1: I think it's very cool that you have such an immediate answer to that. Like that you've thought about
2: this. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. And I want it to be sold out and I want it to be the orchestra. And I want, so someone from the Symphony Nova Scotia, can't remember his name, he came to me and he said, I saw Nina Simone play. In, like you would say, 1974 or something, for example. And I think that I've never seen anyone else come as close to her as you have.
0: And mm. I was like, whoa.
2: And yeah, I died inside a little. <laughs> yes. So
0: well, I'm- whatever you want to accomplish, I definitely believe in, and the world believes in you because you are a force and the. The the greater world is uh gonna benefit greatly from from seeing you perform once you once you do these these shows and across the country, in the States, South America. Like I'm very excited for you and to see where all this goes.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your hospitality, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh my
1: gosh. It's it's truly our pleasure. It's uh I, I know that you likely are the recipient of a lot of compliments and People expressing appreciation, but you you truly are very captivating to watch. And it's just I think when you're really mesmerized by someone's art to get to know them as a person only deepens that relationship that you have to what they do and gives meaning. it It gives a bit of that understanding as to where they're coming from. And it's just been a real privilege to get to know even a fraction of, of your life to yeah. even more so appreciate what you're offering so, so thank you for your time today it means so much
2: thank you you're welcome yeah.
0: you.
2: Cheers. cheers everyone cheers. And the girl represents, represents, oh, now here it is from 876 to the Nova Scotian.
0: me say what a bam bam
2: we blaze the fire anywhere we come from they say what a bam bam bam. So raise a toast me the East Coast family. They say what a bam, bam Cause it don't matter where we go, I still belong we They say what a bam bam bam. In the family, I know just blood what? You no know, see the ones we stand up back on me The sisters keep us, with caution and we proud No boy can bring no chat, me said them mafia we watch them moan. Cause no man is an island, no woman stands alone Grateful for my city, thankful for my home. See me when we come true Me rapping for the 902 Check it through this land Big attitude Looking fresh like damn Come correct where we stand I found my strength Heaven's sand Representing this Adjusted then articulate Resi reap the benefits Been switching up These narratives Chipping away at greatness Never mind you know They can't break us We alive and Feeling outrageous Success is so contagious Maybe not my state reparate, Rising up for better days Gallop on the trail of blaze Looking for the beast To slay Serving ill new. The rest life essential Sweet grass and mocks too Live strong in your troops From the 506 to the 902 Marriage to the game like I do
0: Unified and fired up You can't break us down, that's fine From
2: 876 to the Nova Scotian
0: they say what a bam we
2: We blaze the fire anywhere we come from They say what a bam, bam bam So raise a toast me, the East Coast family They say what a bam, bam no matter where we go I still wanna win No, want to, want to win. no problem with any other side but we just so proud to be so sh- Even if you're not from the city you can feel it one time for the culture Live by the fist, die by the wrist, rules that we follow in the scripture Descendants of a Baptist, like even if you're not from the district Delegate passion, delegate and speak to the masses to the, Teaching our youth to retract, the things that have been taught in the classes They shooting in masses, forgive me bringing up the past, but We going through tragedy quicker and average, but we too busy to act up The fact is, we ain't dast up, keeping it moving like Mack truck And you thought that that unity lake water, it can get gully, so strap up Let's look at the positive You won't see community like this And we fight for it Lunacy thinking that We ain't gonna play the right chords Aiming both devices Raising them strong and righteous Come from a line of boxes Meaning I'm willing to bite you Playing with blocks at night but Investing in every new dollar Averaging A's in every way Cause East Coast full of scars From 876 to Nova Scotia say what a bam, bam. We blaze the fire Anywhere we come from they say, What's bam, bam, Bam Bam? So, rest at most in the East Coast family. They say, What's Bam Bam? bam, bam.